Western podcast. I'm Sophia Lowe, and we're exploring issues related to Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. In the book, Stevenson details his early work as a criminal defense lawyer in Alabama, where he worked to advocate for those mistreated by the judicial system. In today's episode, we're talking about youth criminal justice and specifically the Final Five campaign. This is the effort to shut down the last five youth prisons in Illinois. According to Olivia Blocker, who is the Final Five campaign coordinator, the effort to close youth prisons in Illinois has been in the works for years. One thing to note is the campaign has been long time coming. The Children and Family Justice Center has uh, been working over the past decade to close multiple youth prisons. Um, so over the last 10 years, they've closed three. And we're just sort of in a place that makes sense to sort of push for these five. Youth-specific prisons themselves are a relatively recent development in the state. Most emerged around the same time the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice, or the IDJJ, formed. Olivia calls this the DJJ. The DJJ was uh, developed in 2006, and that's when the first facilities were built. So when I'm talking about the last 10 years, it was really like when the prison started cropping up, there was advocacy to start closing them down. The IDJJ operated eight youth prisons in the state until 2012, when former Governor Pat Quinn proposed closing two. Another was closed in 2016. At a height, these facilities held over 2,000 young people between the ages of 13 and 20. The remaining five facilities hold, on average, 395 youth. Olivia said a gradual change in mindset is what makes now the right time to close the rest because DJJ was new and because the concept of incarcerating young people in their own facilities, not with adults, was a new concept. I think it was harder to get advocates on board for that because we saw like, yeah, incarcerating young people, as long as they're not in adult facilities, as like better. So I think we're in a place now that we see that like youth prisons are still prisons. They're, they're not adult prisons, but they're still carceral facilities with guards and prison cages and lockdowns and they're prisons. We're in a place to recognize like these facilities aren't what we want them to be and to be able to shift to something better. Just to be clear, the Final Five campaign isn't specifically targeting county-run juvenile detention centers. They're working to shut down the five state-run youth prisons, or as they are formerly known, Illinois Youth Centers. The Final Five campaign launched in August 2020 and offers paid opportunities to young organizers through its youth cohort. The cohort works on projects ranging from communications to policy. Here are some of the campaign's more immediate goals. Right now, we're in the base building phase of the campaign, so we're really trying to reach out to organizations, community groups. We have a pretty strong base in Chicago, but it also looks like reaching out to others throughout the state. We know we want to start with closing uh, St. Charles and Harrisburg. Those are the two largest facilities. St. Charles has a daily average of 138 boys. For Harrisburg, 126 boys, but both have the capacity to hold over 330 boys. St. Charles in particular is in particularly poor condition and has been for a really long time. So our priority is closing that facility first. Javion Jackson is a 24-year-old juvenile justice advocate and one of the young people involved with the campaign. He said he spent about two and a half years in youth facilities, including Harrisburg and St. Charles, starting at 17 after parole violations. Here's what he had to say about his experiences. I was really nervous. I was crying. I was scared. I had never, you know... I was always with my mom, so it was like just being taken away, locked away in a room, and basically having people tell you what to do and stuff like that was kind of like very, very scary. 
I actually remember my very first night. I had asked the correction officer if I could make a call, and she was like, no, there's no, we don't have phone calls right now. And that was like a big shocker for me. Cause I had never, you know, I had never been told no to like call home or something like that. That was just like a really, really scary, just waking up in a room with a roommate and just being like very, very nervous. The effects of youth incarceration are often hard to reverse and combat. Javion says that his experience was very traumatizing. I would say that the effects that being in a facility have on you is kind of something you never forget. I feel like any, well, any person always find yourself glancing back about the past, certain things that, you know, certain habits you learn at jail, because you're such a young age, you get used to doing things a certain way. But I mean, then you have to, when you're released, you have to kind of let those things go and try to find a different path to go on. According to Javion, the fact that prisons remove youth from their communities adds to the trauma. You never know what what will affect someone once you remove them from everything that they know. When someone is taken up off the streets, that hurts. And it even hurts home because, you know, that little brother or that little sister losing an older brother or sister is losing that connection and that bond. So, and I just think that also that affects the parents too, because now they have to, you know, either take loans out to go see their kid or, you know, make sure their kid has what they need while locked up in a facility. Olivia elaborated on this, explaining how incarceration affects more than just people who are incarcerated. People see incarceration as a, as a punishment for the person who did harm, when really you're punishing a whole family unit, a whole community, and the idea that you're just holding one person accountable for something is, is just not, is not true. The impacts of these things are, of youth incarceration is enormous. People don't realize how far these prisons are away from the communities. Just the accessibility and being able to take time off work or pay for transportation or pay for gas to just like go and visit the young people, uh, visit their family members is uh, incredibly inaccessible. If we're talking about incarcerated youth, the impacts of COVID-19 are significant the health risks, obviously, but also just like they haven't been able to do anything. Like programming has been canceled. In the recent months, they've been able to do more virtual programming. But in terms of like human to human contact, being able to visit family and uh, things like that has been severely restricted for the past five months. And the mental health effects of that are incalculable. Which is why the bottom line is prisons cause harm. So I'm, I'm really excited for the role of the campaign to be a voice for what this new juvenile justice system can look like and how to transition to something more, more healing. Javion says involving the voices of young people that have been in these prisons and learning from their firsthand experience is essential to the campaign. You can't bring people around a table and have a conversation about something they've never been through. In order to help someone, you need someone there who has learned experience. So when you talk about these new alternatives that they want to do, they had to have run that by someone who has been through something sort of like that so they know that this is something that they want to give someone. Having the same people that was at the table before creating the same system that is now ruining people's lives at a new table for something totally different is going to make a new system that's just going to crumble. Blocker also emphasizes the importance of reaching out across the state. 
I think a key part of this is being able to reach out to, in addition to reaching out to organizations throughout the state, but also young people throughout the state to join the campaign uh, and to have their voices heard and to contribute to what alternatives look like. So how do we begin transforming justice systems? Olivia explains the alternatives to incarceration. We spend so much money in these systems of punishment, and there's just not enough services for uh, reentry and prevention. There are some models that exist in other states that are way more focused on using detention as a final, final option, where they focus on building family, community connections, where they focus on building uh, healthy relationships, where they focus on uh, getting like medication and mental health support to those who need it, on focusing on uh, all of these other things that we know uh, young people need to thrive. So I think we just need to think creatively about what it means to reinvest in those services. Olivia said the ultimate goal is to close the remaining prisons in the next two years, but the program is really just getting its feet off the ground. It's been a little bit of a slow startup. A lot of the work that we had planned to do over the summer was heavily thwarted by COVID, as you might have mentioned, many projects were. I think we're still in the beginning stages. I think there's so much happening in the city right now and in the country right now that aligns with the goals of closing these prisons. So uh, I'm really excited to be able to plug into some of the existing work and partner with people across the state. Already, the campaign receives support from the Youth Correctional Leaders for Justice, a coalition of state's attorneys, prosecutors, and juvenile justice administrators from across the U.S. On the way to accomplishing their long-term goals, Here's what the final five campaign will be pushing for in the coming months. We're looking, you know, to push the governor and the governor's office towards the idea of starting that process and just researching and, you know, connecting with other people about, you know, what alternatives look like, something closer to home and the community. So what can you do to support the campaign? To sign on, um, spread the word, and I will also hashtag final five campaign on Twitter. And also find us, follow us on Instagram and I believe Facebook too, and talk about it. You know, I don't want you just to go follow us. I want you to ask questions. Basically, you know, try to figure out, try to get involved. What do you want to know? To learn more about these issues, you can go to thefinal5campaign.com slash resources. That's the final, then the number five, campaign.com slash resources. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sophia Lowe, and thanks to Dr. Ava Thompson-Greenwell for advising on this episode. Stay tuned for more episodes about the One Book events, and for the full calendar, visit the One Book website. The music in this episode is Unsilenced by Ketza. See you next time.